This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Hey, it's Glenn, and I want to remind you, peace of mind is tough to come by these days unless you have a Liberty Safe. With a Liberty Safe, you won't worry when you leave the house because you'll know your valuables are protected. And right now you can get free delivery to your home on any Liberty Safe. Go to LibertySafe.com for factory direct pricing. LibertySafe.com, made in the USA, lifetime warranty, and peace of mind. LibertySafe.com. Success. Begin Life Force Reboot Program now. Stand clear. Life signs stable. It's alive. Set it loose. This is the Jeff Fisher Show on the Blaze Radio Network. And here we go. It is uh, Brad Staggs in for Jeffy this morning as he continues. On the men uh, from his uh, surgery a, a few days ago, he so graciously allowed me to uh, to sit in the chair and to uh, to talk you uh, with you this morning. I'm going to uh, tell you several stories. Uh, just got back from uh, a whirlwind tour uh, of the Middle East, uh, beginning the evacuation of Christians. Uh, from from the Middle East and and to uh, to their new home, I, and what I want to do is, is talk to you about this extraordinary experience. Um, I would describe this as surreal, even. Um, the whole thing began when Glenn decided that we would uh, we would start the Nazarene Fund to aid the Christians overseas who'd been driven from their homes or killed or worse. What could be worse? I always wondered. My mom would always say that when I was young. It's a fate worse than death, she'd say. What's worse than death? I was would always wonder. And as I, uh, as I grew older, I understood. Humans can do unspeakable, unspeakable things to each other, in the name of God, in the name of Allah, in the name of whatever name you want to insert there. Uh, we will talk more on that later. Once Glenn began talking with you about the Nazarene Fund and you so generously opened not only your hearts but your wallets and you began what would be a $12 million plus influx of cash, including jars of coins Thirty-seven dollars and thirty-two cents, as as one as one man sent in a jar his his life savings essentially. Um, a wedding ring. A wedding ring sent by a woman. Who she had discussed with her husband the the fact that they wanted to do whatever they could. This wedding ring belonged to her mother. And she sent the wedding ring to Mercury One. Five thousand dollars, I think this uh, this ring uh, is worth, and will bring will bring to the fund. That is when that is when my odyssey began. Um, I didn't know at the time I would have the opportunity to witness this incredible series of events firsthand. Uh, never dreamed of. It. I had no idea I would play. Uh, any role in this 
at all. But as so often happens, um, <laughs> always, uh, God had a plan for me. It's, it's the reason I'm talking to you now. If, if you know how I, I got to the blaze and how I'm even sitting in this chair right now filling in, filling in for Jeffy. Um, several weeks ago, as, uh, as plans were coming together to begin the evacuation of the Christians uh, from Syria and, and Iraq, I was asked by uh, American Dream Labs here, uh, ben, ben McPherson and, and the rest of the crew, to accompany them on the journey to Iraq to uh, document not only the evacuation, but to also help uh, tell the story of, of Father Douglas. Um, as the days went by, plans changed, as they so often do, not only here at... Uh, at Mercury Studios, uh, everything is fluid. Uh, but those plans changed as it relates to those Christians leaving uh, the Middle East. Uh, I was unable to travel with uh, with uh, Dream Labs uh, in the end. I was disappointed, uh, but then again, God had a plan. And it's funny how he makes exactly what should happen happen when it should happen. Uh, it's even even funnier in an ironic sense how we tend to worry about things that in retrospect we had no need to worry about at all. Think of the time we spend worrying about things that never even happen. That's something I'm still trying to force myself to learn. It's not an easy lesson, as I'm sure you know. Uh, so time goes by. As it turned out, I was asked to travel with uh, Mercury One and um, and Mercury Radio Arts, the, the parent company. I traveled with them with a, to say a talented group of people is, an, is a, a complete understatement. Uh, their mission and mine is to tell the story to you and, and, the, and the world so that we could in turn get more of these victims of unspeakable terror to safety, uh, at least out of harm's way. Ellen, our uh, director of content, who, uh, a very unique woman, <laughs> if you ever have the chance, I want to just, just Google Ellen Wheeler. Uh, she's an incredible, incredibly talented woman uh, who has spent time not only in front of the camera, if you've ever watched soap operas, <laughs> Uh, Guiding Light is the uh, the one I believe she was on uh, playing twins. Um, I may be wrong, but I'll ask I'll ask Beth coming up. Beth Knott is one of the uh, most talented, if not the the best, producer of of stories I've ever had the uh, had the honor of knowing. Uh, we'll actually talk to her at the bottom of the hour. Uh, Nick. Uh, Nick was our our, our uh, a sound guy. Nick is a funny guy. He's a gifted uh, sound artist uh, who would uh, end up traveling with his dead cat, <laughs> or or what seemed to be a dead cat in the uh, in the form of a of a microphone. Um, wonderful, wonderful sense of humor. Uh, this Nick Archer has. <laughs> I, throughout the morning, by the way, I'm going to be playing you some um, some audio from from my cell phone. These are things that I have uh, that I've actually recorded on my cell phone. Um, so if the uh, if the uh, audio level is uh, a little low, 
um, please accept my apologies, but I, I think it's uh, it's more important that you hear it, even if it is not perfect, than not hear it at all. Uh, but with Nick, um, one of the things that uh, a sound guy travels with is this boom microphone. You may have seen it in in uh, news stories before. Um, it just looks like a furry cat. <laughs> it's just, I'll share a video with you uh, with you a little bit later on that. Uh, and Matt, Matt was one of our uh, uh, and is one of our videographers and editors. Matt is one of the quietest people on planet Earth until you get to know him, and then just try shutting him up. I love Matt. Matt is a wonderful, wonderful human being. These are the people that I shared the uh, the initial uh, the initial leg of our journey with. Um, I couldn't ask for a better a better group of people to be with. Uh, the twelve hour plus flight that made up the first leg of our journey was uneventful. We took off from from Dallas. Uh, we arrived in uh, Doha, Qatar, or Qatar depending on uh, how, uh, how you want to say it. That's where we met up with Nick, who had flown in directly from Florida. Uh, we had a 12-hour layover there. It was an opportunity uh, for us to get to know each other as a team. Obviously, that's crucial when you're going to be telling a story of, of this magnitude, of this sort. Uh, if you think traveling with a family member is tough, imagine traveling with a group of people who we've never spent um, this much time before so closely. Just think about what it, what it takes to get to know these people and to get to understand what it's like to spend entire days, sleep-deprived days, 20, 21-hour days, which is what they averaged. I, I think we got somewhere between two and three hours of sleep a night. Um, it was an, anywhere from eight to, I think, 10 hour time difference. So you can imagine just the ability for each of us to mesh together, to be able to do our jobs. Because if there was one weak link in the chain, obviously the chain would fall apart. Um, those twelve hours that we got to spend just just in in the hotel in the in, in the hotel in the airport was was amazing. Uh, and by the way, if you if you take the signs off the stores and the restaurants in in Doha uh, International Airport there in Qatar, you could be just about anywhere in the world. One of the things I have grown to dislike over the years: the homogenization of the world. Um. Years ago, when I when I worked for the Nashville Network, and I did stories on on the different states around the uh, around the country, uh, from Washington State to Louisiana uh, to Alabama, Texas, even. It was just beginning then. This is back in 1989, 1990. Yeah, I'm you would travel to different parts of the country and different parts of the country seemed different. There were different stores. There were different restaurants. There was different everything. But now, 
if you closed your eyes or even if you had them open, the restaurant, the McDonald's on every corner, for crying out loud, the Burger King on every corner. Um, in Slovakia, the H&M in every mall. Having Katy Perry stare at you from a mall in Stockholm, Sweden, or Kosice, Slovakia, is just surreal. But then I digress. Um, the next leg of our journey, relatively uh, short airplane ride from Qatar to Erbil, Iraq. We landed about three hours later following an uneventful flight. Um, stepping into that airport and going through security was strange to say the least. We were inside Iraq, a place I'd heard about for over 20 years. But now I was there. I tried as best I could to look around and take in all the sights and the sounds. Even a banner that read, A Future Embracing the Heritage. As Glenn would say, that, that can be a dangerous thing. I'll tell you more about our, uh, our odyssey into the Middle East as we put the Nazarene Fund into action. I am Brad Staggs. I am here in for Jeff Fisher on the Jeff Fisher Show here on the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Jeff Fisher Show on the Blaze Radio Network. And it is Brad Stagg sitting in for Jeffy this morning as he recovers from his uh, his operation. <laughs> it's probably top secret. <clears throat> Let's just say his voice will be higher when he gets back. Um, and you'll have to find Kate or something like that. Uh, I was recounting to you the um, our trip to the uh, to the Middle East uh, for the Nazarene Fund as we put your dollars, the money that you have donated, the $12 million plus uh, that you have so generously put up to relocate these Christian refugees who've been driven out of their homes by ISIS, literally driven from their homes. Uh, we, and I, I say we, the initial group that, uh, that went on the trip, uh, Nick, our, our sound guy, who um, I want to play you just a bit of audio that... Uh, I'll explain here. Just say this is from my cell phone again. So please forgive the forgive the quality. When you are location sound guy and you're traveling in Slovakia and it's freezing outside, it has a good tip for you. If you're traveling with your dead cat, it's just good for recording, and it's just good for cuddling. Red cuddle kitty. And let me tell you the dead cat thing. If you've ever seen a news crew traveling with a boom microphone, it's covered with a furry oblong thing. It looks like a, a dead something. It's furry. To the point where the children in the camp would come up and try to pet this thing that looked like an animal. The sense of humor there you heard was Nick's. The sense of humor was crucial in getting us through some things that it was hard to get through without crying. When you hear these stories... 
when you hear the stories of these people who were driven, who were given a choice when ISIS came to their hometowns, when ISIS came to their front doors, when they, when they were told you have three options. You can leave. You can convert to Islam. Or we'll kill you. And in many cases, even those who decided to turn their back on their faith or who simply said it in hopes that these monsters would go away, they were still killed. In one instance, we spoke with a woman whose three-year-old daughter had been literally pulled from her arms. And yeah, she saw her again as these monsters would bring her within distance so that she could see her daughter telling her that they would return her to her. To, to, to her as a mother and, and then leaving again. And, and, and to this day, she does not know where her daughter, and that was, I think, a year and a half ago. We, in this country, we have our own problems. But when you put your problem in that context, when you talk to these people and they tell you their stories, not only do you, it, it made my head spin. So humor was one way that we, we dealt with it. Because as I often say, if you don't laugh, you cry. So that is the context of our humor. We took every, every step so very seriously. As we entered, as we entered the airport, and I told you about the banner, a future embracing the heritage that was seen in the Erbil Airport. Many ways, obviously, to interpret that. I talked, uh, I talked with Ellen uh, about it. <laughs> she, by the way, was busy shooting video and taking pictures in the airport in Iraq. Look, you try doing that here, and see what what security does. Now imagine that security being Iraqi and having absolutely no sense of humor. I'm continually amazed at Ellen's cojones. <laughs> they are large. She's a wonderful woman. I've grown to love her. She is an unashamed storyteller who will walk into a burning building to get the shot. I've known only one other person like her in my life. And his name was Gary Langham. God rest his soul. He was a funny little man with a big heart and larger-than-life talent. But then again, I, I digress. We traveled from the, uh, from the airport to our hotel to unload gear and luggage. And since I'd been riding with Ellen in one car, we had two cars. <clears throat> and Beth, our, our producer and coordinator, she was riding in another when we got to the hotel, which was beautiful, by the way, when we got there, I was surprised to learn of a very credible threat to the Christian safety and to ours. And I'm going to 
play for you the video travel log that we recorded when we got to the hotel on the other side of the break. We'll also talk to Beth live when we return to the Jeff Fisher Show. I am Brad Staggs filling in for Jeffy on the Blaze Radio Network. The Jeff Fisher Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Jeff Fisher Show. And it's Brad Staggs in for Jeffy this morning as he recovers from his uh, from his surgery. He'll be back um, next year. <laughs> it sounds strange, but it's true. I'll um, I'll be in here for, um, let's see, this week and, uh, I don't know, next week, whenever. Uh, if you turn the radio on, I'm on. I'm in for Jeffy. If not, it'll, it'll be him. Um, we've been to, uh, telling you the, the story of our trip to... Erbil, Iraq. Um, and the story of getting these Christians out, getting these Christians out of uh, out of the Middle East and to safety. And one of the people who, um, who was on that trip, uh, I want her to, to join me now on the program. Her name is Beth Knott. She is the are you still the acting director? What is your? She was the acting director of Mercury One. Now she's. What is your title now? Now I'm the supervising producer for Glenn Beck Content. Gotcha. So she and Ellen. See, I'm right on top of things. I'm telling you. <laughs> uh, Beth and Ellen handle all things uh, content related to to Glenn and uh, and his television and radio shows. And I want to play just a little bit of. Um, a little bit of audio, uh, Beth. The, the the audio that we recorded in in the hotel when we got back from the first uh, from the from the airport, and and you were telling the story of of the credible threat, the very first credible threat that we were aware of that right. um, uh, that we got intel on the ground. Um, that ISIS kind of well. Let me play this first, and then and then I want to get your, your reaction to it. Again, this is uh, if you're listening. This is on off of my cell phone, so please forgive any um, audio quality issues. But this this was it was so by the seat of your pants reporting. We did everything we could to record every moment that we could. Uh, so here's Beth recounting our um, our first uh, well, let's call it speed bump. Yeah, tell me about the, um, tell me about what the, uh, the refugee camps, how they, they've got a hold of their cell phones. So, um, we've gotten intel that, uh, ISIS has gotten hold of some of the cell phone numbers of the families that are in the refugee camp, and they have been calling them over the last few days and threatening them that if they are to evacuate, if they're to leave this country, that they will take it out on their families or them. And they have threatened um, uh, ground attacks um, and um, uh, IEDs. And um, so obviously some of the families are a little bit nervous and it's made everybody just a little bit nervous on getting out of here. Um, It's still on at this moment. The evacuation is still on as of right now. So we'll just kind of have to see how that goes. 
I'm going to pause that right there. I want Beth. I want you to give me your um, when we when we when we got that information. What what was going through your head? Well, when we first got the, some information, was actually in Qatar. Uh, we were uh, getting trying to get the rest between the 12 hour flight and the the next flight, and then we get, we talked to some security. You gave us some information that there was some credible threats and almost called the whole trip off. Glenn considered calling everything off because um, he didn't want to put, you know, anybody in danger, but, but, you know, he asked us to make our own decisions. So everybody came together and said, we were still going to move forward. Uh, to be honest, I was, I was scared. It was, um, you know, th- there were real threats. There were threats, not only from ISIS, but also the Russians were, were threatening uh, the Turkish army, and, and we were not very far from that border. They were threatening missile attacks there, so there was both of those things going on at the same time. But then when we found out that, that there were threats that were directly related to the evacuation, it got it got very serious very quick. Now, the vehicles that we were that we were traveling and security personnel that, uh, that accompanied us, they were, it was all a bit intimidating. Uh, yes. When we got to the, the hotel... There were armed guards at the hotel as as I, I can obviously give the, the perspective from a, a man's standpoint. But tell me, as a woman, what it what it felt like, because this is a country that does not look favorably or does not um, certainly does not look at everyone equally. And as a, as a woman, how true. do you feel? Yeah, that that's absolutely true. I mean, um I have been fortunate to be raised in the United States, you know, and, and in a family that has taught me that, you know, as long as you work hard, it doesn't matter whether you're male or female, you can do whatever you want, you know, and, and I have worked in industries over the years that are predominantly male, but have, have done very, fairly well in them and have never felt like any, I was discriminated against at all for being a woman. But you go to that country and you realize that it is a, totally different thing that um you know you're not even considered human if you're a woman in that country and so therefore you know there there are completely different safety risks um for men than there are women there 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 are safety risks for everyone but women in particular you know they they will kidnap and sell into slavery they because women are property and not people over there so um it, it is interesting you know our security team was really good um, and they were very cordial and very nice, but they were very warning about, you know, proper behavior. Now, the area where we were in, um, in particular, was a little bit more westernized. So it was, you know, not like, like the, I didn't feel the need to wear, you know, scarf on my head and all that stuff. But, but still, it's, it's, it's totally different than it is here. And, you know, uh, sticking together over there, I, I don't believe it, it is all safe for a woman to travel without a man in that area. Well, and the the one thing I noticed, and I'd said this to several people on the trip, was that if you looked around and you took the words off of the buildings, you took the signs away from the buildings, you could be in a borough in New York. It looked... Well, and actually, one of our shooters said that, that in a couple of places it reminded him of areas in Brooklyn um, because they're, you know, but, but, but the rundown areas of Brooklyn. Uh, right. Erbil was fascinating in, in the fact that it had been a very um, wealthy city. Uh, their economy had been booming a couple of years ago, 
But in that area of the world, unlike the United States, um, if the capital city of the country decides it wants the money of another city, it just takes it, which is what happened there. And so this town that had been, uh, you know, inventing itself or reinventing itself to be a, a travel destination, ironically, you wouldn't think of Iraq as a travel destination, but that's what mm. they were they were trying to do. Um, all these Americanized hotels were going up, and then uh, Baghdad decided they wanted their money, and so they took it. And so now there are empty buildings everywhere. And, and ironically, that is one of the reasons Erbil became where a lot of the Christians fled to, because there were empty buildings for them to to seek shelter in until they found a place to go. They would literally come to the city. And they would find an empty building, and, and there were plenty to, to find, obviously. The, the, the closest thing that I can relate it to is Las Vegas right now. If you are familiar at all with Las Vegas and the way that there are buildings uh, half-constructed and, and left that way, there are, there, there are concrete shells, steel shells. That is what Erbil Ur, reminded me of. And these Christians would, in fact, simply go into these buildings, which— they're not so much on the whole safety and the OSHA aspect over there. Uh, you, you don't find no, the same really rules not. and restrictions. Uh, you don't find any no, and, and rules. One of the things I noticed, it happened to, to, to rain and sleet a little bit while we were there. I, I kind of laughed because, you know, in America, everybody's got the security stuff. You know, there's, there's the, um, the texturized on all the steps. There's, you know, that handrails everywhere. Not over there. And everything mm-hmm. was slick. It was like, you know, just, just, just you're responsible for your own actions. And if you fall down and go to the hospital, that's your problem. It's yeah. not, you know, it, it's, it's totally different there. Um, but yeah, then again, you see a McDonald's, so it's kind of weird. That was the strange thing. It, it felt that's, I think what made it so surreal is to see things that were familiar. And as the, um, the head of our, our security team told us on more than one occasion, Awareness. Awareness is the is the key word of the day, he would say. And the fact is, it was very, very easy to let your guard down because some things seem so familiar. Yeah. And, and he said to me on more than one occasion, you know, do not get a false sense of security. Um, you know, you, you are where we went, which in itself was kind of ironic. Where we went was the Christian area of town because that's where they are seeking refuge. And to them, to the Christians in this particular area of town, they were safer. Um, It's only 50 miles away from where they were run out of their homes by ISIS. Um, A lot of them walked that whole distance to get to this area to safety because, you know, they were driven away without cars and everything else. Um, And you would ask them, you know, do you feel safe? And, And they would answer that they did feel safe there. But yet they all knew the threat. You know, there, there, was, there was a fence around the church and the camp where they were. Um, there was, you know, barbed wire at the top of it. There um, were security guards that checked every car that came in and out, not only checking them, you know, just asking to, to, who the driver was, but, you know, with the, with the mirrors underneath to make sure there were no bombs and that sort of thing. So every day... That, that they lived their lives here, they were safer than where they came from, but there was always the threat that somebody would walk in there with an explosive vest or with a car bomb or something to that nature. You don't think about that every day in the United States. You couldn't trust your own eyes. That was the, that was the thing. And it was, 
it was exhausting, quite honestly. And the, 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 how these people handled it on a day-to-day basis is beyond me because I just, it was very, it was a very emotional, it was an emotional roller coaster. Um, and we're, we're going to take a break here in just a second, but when we, when we come back, um, we, from the hotel, we traveled to a couple of the, the camps. They don't want to be called camps. They're centers. Um, Sister Diana's and also Father Douglas's uh, center. And uh, Beth, when we come back, I want you to tell the story of Rita. Um, she's one of the refugees who was um, able to leave. And I want to talk about the story of her family and the fact that they lived in a container that was maybe eight feet wide, mm-hmm. maybe maybe 15 feet long. It was tiny. And how many did she say were in her family? I want to say eight. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Eight or nine. It, it's yeah. an incredible story. Uh, and we will get into that here in just uh, just a second. Also, at the Blaze Brad, that is my Twitter handle. And I'm, I'm tweeting pictures of these people that we are talking about so that you can put a face with a name at the Blaze Brad. So follow me on, on Twitter and, um, and get a visual of what we are talking about here. It is Brad Stags filling in for Jeff Fisher on the Jeff Fisher radio program here on the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Jeff Fisher Show on the Blaze Radio Network. And this is Brad Stags filling in for Jeffy this morning. He continues to be on the mend from his recent surgery, which I could tell you more about, but I'd have to kill you. Um, we've been uh, telling you the story real of our Mrs. trip. Jeffy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hope that the real Mrs. Jeffy is feeding him lots of cookies and brownies because she's really good at making those. Oh, she's fabulous. She is wonderful. And the voice you hear right now is uh, Beth Knott. She's with the uh, supervising producer of... Um, of Glenn's uh, TV and, and radio shows, uh, I think I said that right. Along with uh, you did with with Ellen Wheeler, who is the director of content. Um, we left off um, talking about Rita, and I just uh, tweeted a picture of Rita with Ellen. We have um, uh, just a couple of minutes in in this segment, and and by the way, can you stick around for the next segment as well? Sure. Oh, good. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, Tell the story of Rita just briefly because this she was such a beautiful girl. How what twenty one years old? I'd say she's about twenty, maybe maybe a little older because she's been going to nursing school. So, um, but she she's it's kind of funny because you you don't I don't know what you you picture in your mind, but but I didn't picture all the young people that were there, um, and there were so many young people with just waiting to start their lives, you know, waiting to get to a country where they can start their lives. Uh, Rita was one of those. She wants to be an actress. So um, Ellen, having been an actress, we introduced her, and and she was very excited about that. But she is going to nursing school currently um, in in Iraq, but will continue some sort of schooling when she when she you know uh, gets into her new home in Slovakia. They'll they'll do language training first. But Rita and her whole family were moved. Um, um, I don't believe, it wasn't Mosul. What was the other area? Oh, uh, 
I can't remember. It's right outside. Um, of, it's right outside of Mosul. But um, they were they were they were run out of their homes, and their their whole family fled, and, and they came here. And when Father Douglas has created a home for them, however, they are still living in what is equivalent to shipping containers, and they have a little steps that go up to them and a door. Uh, they do have electricity run to them, but. It's just, you know, basic electricity. There's no heating or air conditioning. So they and have the, a space heater if it's cold. And the power would go out every four or five minutes, All it seemed like. That, yeah, was, and, and they didn't that was the amazing thing. It was like, you know, we would be in the middle of an interview uh, and the power would go out. They didn't even yeah. seem to notice. Thank goodness for our BioLite nanogrid lights that we had there to use on uh, on location um we've got to take another quick break beth is going to uh, hang with us to the uh, top of the hour we have so much more to tell you about how we are dispersing and using the nazarene fund and our trip to the middle east here uh brad stakes filling in for jeff fisher on the blaze radio network back in a second this is the jeff fisher show only on the blaze radio network This podcast brought to you by My Patriot Supply. Did you miss the chance to get a 72-hour emergency food supply with free shipping for just 10 bucks? What's wrong with you? Don't worry. Call 888-411-7440 right now. They have a few left, and they're selling out fast. 888-411-7440. What are you waiting for? A disaster? Do it right now. 888-411-7440. Fisher Show on the Blaze Radio Network. And I am Brad Stikes filling in for Jeffy this morning. Thank you, first of all, to Mr. Fisher, who has uh, allowed me to sit in his chair behind this microphone. Um, it's an unbelievable honor, uh, as, as you can probably imagine. Uh, and I, a couple of corrections I wanted to make. Uh, first of all, I called uh, Nick Daly. I called him Nick Archer. Uh, last hour. It's Nick Daly. Nick Archer's a guy I know in, in Nashville. But let me just say that the story that we've been telling you this morning, I've uh, been relating of our of our travel to the Middle East <clears throat> to take the funds that you have so generously donated, uh, $12 million plus in the Nazarene Fund, um, the fund used to relocate, not only relocate these displaced Christians, um, we're not just picking them up and putting them in another country, dropping them off to become a burden to that country, to be to become a burden to themselves, quite frankly. But what this fund does is it trains them. It's a three-year period that it trains them, uh, vocational training, language training. It adjusts them. It... it um, the word is not uh, uh, integrate, and I'm going to bring Beth not back into the conversation. Beth is the uh, she went on the trip. She's the supervising producer for all things Glenn Beck. She was the travel coordinator. She was the project coordinator for this for this entire uh, this entire mission. And um, to say she's the love of my life would would not adequately describe 
uh, how we know each other. But um, there, is that fair enough, Beth? That's fair enough. I like that. Thank you. Um, um, and yes, the word is is actually integrate according integrate. to um, Slovakia. We had been using the word assimilate, but apparently with the um, when 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 the uh, uh, the whole USSR the the split up the, that word's not not a good word anymore for Slovakia. So integrate is the word they prefer. No, no assimilation. We have been talking. No and that's that, that's another thing we did. We we pick up being being in this business. You end up picking up accents, whether you like it or not. In a lot of so we would we would pick up different accents to different places we went around the world. And you guys sometimes, can. I can't. I'm Tennessee's. You know. <laughs> Beth sounds southern, through. whether she wants to or not. So exactly. then we would instead of Slovakia, we would uh, we talked it differently. So it, it's <laughs> and again and, and people. The thing I want to get across is this was not a bunch of fun and giggles. This was very, very serious. But the way we handled stress was with humor. Um, and in just a second, I'm going to play another piece of audio when we literally were running for our lives. But uh, continue with Rita's story. Rita being one of the um, one of the Christian refugees, she lived along with seven or eight of her family members in an eight by 15 foot storage container on the grounds yeah. of, of Father Douglas Church in Erbil. These people and, and showed I up. I to describe because it's like um, I, I had, we had another crew that went over earlier, um, like about a month or so ago to do a route special. So they had been there and they had tried to describe it, but until you actually see it, it's really, really hard to, to imagine because what had happened was when when these Christians were run out of their areas, they ran to Erbil, um, but there were no camps at that point because, right. you know, there was really no need for camps. Um, so this church, this church that Father Douglas ran, had some property. It was kind of a church in a park, uh, from what I understand. And um, so he opened up the the property, the park, to for these people to have a place to go. So uh, over time. You know, at first they were actually just sleeping on the ground, um, and he provided blankets and pillows and whatever he could get. And then over time, different um, charitable organizations first donated tents. So they moved up from sleeping just out in the open to sleeping in tents, and then they got better tents. And then um, other charitable organizations, this particular camp, Samaritan's Purse, helped out by donating these containers. Um, the containers, and we did go to two camps, so we saw two different types of containers. The containers themselves uh, in, in the camp where, where um, the Christians that we moved um, are currently located or were located um, did not have a place inside. There was no indoor plumbing or a place mm. inside where they could cook. So outside, they were, they were all lined up in rows, and outside of each row was the cooking facility. So, you know, Rita's family would share um, a hot plate and, you know, a little, little – um, little sink type thing. Uh, it wasn't really a sink, but it was like a little washing basin with, you know, a couple of the neighbors and they would all get together. And, you know, while we're walking around out there, there was a woman peeling potatoes and, you know, cooking potatoes right there as we walked by. Now I will say this for as little as they had, they were so ready to share it, You know, if we walked into one of the, the, the containers, they were like, Oh, have some tea, have some food, whatever they had, they wanted to share. Um, and it was actually it would be it would be considered rude 
to not accept it, number one. And also, it was rude to say thank you, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. they really they, – their, their expectation was, as Christians, you share what you have with other people, and so there was no reason to thank them. They just – that was what they do. Um, and Rita, Rita – I'm looking forward to seeing Rita blossom as she, she gets into her no, new home in Slovakia. Actually, she was in some of the pictures that Ellen sent back um, because, you know, this is a young woman – who should be dating and should be, you know, mm-hmm. looking to get married the next chapter of her life. But when you talk to them, they were all, you know, on hold. They were they were yeah. surviving and they were happy to be with their families and surviving. But no one wanted to start a life where they could, um, you know, who wants to start a life not knowing where you're going to be next? Who and wants to, to, to date somebody who may not get to go with you when you evacuate? And the thing is, it has been so hard for me to explain to people the way that these, the way that these refugees, the, the way that their life has taken such a hard turn. It would be like saying to, to one of us who, who lives here in Dallas, you're given a choice. You can either get out, you can go to North Dakota, you can, or, or, or you can die. We'll kill you. Once you get to North Dakota... Okay, now you can either go to Illinois, but you cannot go back to your home in Dallas because that home does not exist anymore. It's been burned down. It's been looted. It's been it's gone. You can no longer go home. There really, truly is no going home. You can either stay in North Dakota where there may or may not be a, a, a home for you, or you can go to Illinois. Right. And that's it. Exactly. And, 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 it's, and it's mind-boggling. They all would have loved to go home. I mean, they had homes and neighborhoods and, and places yeah. that they had built a life, but there is no more home. And yeah. so, you know, the, the better alternative rather than staying in a camp indefinitely or a center, Father Douglas likes to call it a center because yeah. he wanted people to feel more like it was a family. Um, but um, rather than staying there indefinitely, you know, the choice is to make a new life somewhere else. They are very, very excited about their new chapter in Slovakia. But if they'd had their 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 choice, they would go home. But there's no go home to go to. Yeah, it is. It's gone. Their home is gone. In a lot of cases, even family members. We we talked to one woman whose three year old daughter was taken, and so cruelly dangled for better for lack of a better word, dangled in front of her face. At least twice, wasn't it? Three times. Three times they brought, they would tell her to come to this certain point and they would bring her daughter back to her and she would come to that point and see her daughter in the vehicle and then um, the driver who would have her daughter would pretend or, or act like he was going to start to get her daughter out and then the ISIS member that was there with him would say, no, take her away. And they take her away. And, and to this day, she's been gone almost a year and a half. And they're still, you know, begging for people to help them find her. Um, but they have no idea whether she's even alive. They have no idea what what happens. And, and, and I tried to ask the question, and it's really hard to ask these questions to people that are suffering so much. I, I tried to ask the question, you know, what, what do they normally do with three-year-olds? And the answer is they normally kill them. So the likelihood of her being alive is very slim, but they still are holding out hope that someone will help them find their three-year-old daughter. 
this is the reality. He's now, that, he's now four and a half. And this is the reality that that family wakes up to every day. That's, yes. to me, we don't have a damn problem in this in this country. Not compared and, and, to what and, these people are living with. And, and the way that it happened, you know, they were they were doing what ISIS told them to do. They were they were leading, like ISIS told them to lead. And she was trying to gather her 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 family together. And they were getting into vehicles. And as they were, I mean, an ISIS member just pulled the child away from her. I mean, there was no reason. She, how she did, was doing how did she what they keep from going do. insane? Uh, I'm not sure she is. I mean, she, this woman, um, to, I'm guessing about her age because, I mean, I know the ages of her children. So I'm guessing based on the ages of her children, she couldn't be more than mid-40s. And she looked 65 um, because of the, the, the stress and the grief and the, you know, living daily with this. Uh, they have pictures of, of Christina is the child's name. Um, all in their their container, and you know they have basically a shrine to Christina, and they pray daily for Christina's return. And that's in the interview. Um, that was the interview with the the the, the blind grandfather, wasn't it? Yes, yes. And who had the beads? Who was yeah. who was you know cl- clicking the beads, the the prayer beads, the whole time? When you hear and when you see the 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 show that we put together. Uh, and you see that interview, and you will hear the beads in the background as he as he prays um, out loud. And and it, it's 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 amazing to me that any of these people have their sanity. But the, the one thing that that they all had in common was joy. Explain that, Beth, because that that's the one thing that ISIS could not take from them. And particularly at Father Douglas's camp, because Father Douglas worked really hard to instill the joy. And, and he was the first one in the area and, and continues to be the first one in that area that brought in counseling services for the children to, to rehabilitate them to pre- be prepared for a new life. Um, in fact, both Rita and um, Rami were teaching at that uh, facility. So, um, you know, Rita is about to be gone now. Uh, well, she is gone now. She's in Slovakia. But they had both been trained to teach the children how to, um, how, how to get joy back, how, how to live day-to-day life and, and be joyous. But well, And, and I'm going to stop you right there. We, we're, uh, take a quick break. I want to continue that story and tell you the story about how, how we had to literally run for our lives. Coming up next, it's Brad Stacks filling in for Jeff Fisher. Jeff Fisher radio program here on the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Jeff Fisher Show on the Blaze Radio Network. The Jeff Fisher Show. And Brad Stagg sitting in the chair, filling in the shoes, which is just a little bit snug for my feet. Jeff Fisher this morning on uh, his radio program here on Blaze Radio Network. Um, we've been uh, relating to you the story of our um, of our trip to the Middle East uh, and and our our trip to these Christian refugee centers. I want to play another piece of the um, of the video log that we recorded when we were told that. 
the airspace over Iraq had been basically shut down, and we had two hours to get out. Listen closely. Right now in the car, uh, headed back to the airport, uh, headed back to the hotel. We have five minutes to uh, get our things and head to the airport. Baghdad has grabbed the airspace over um, over Erbil, the of the country, and uh, we essentially have about uh, half an hour to get out of the, the, this part of the country, or we are stuck here for two days, at the very least. Uh, this is the third change that's happened tonight, so it, can, it could change in five minutes, but right now we are we are moving fast to get our stuff and get out um, and get ahead of the um, of the refugees who are hopefully going to be uh, out in the next couple of days. Fingers crossed. And that is how it went most of the time there in that part of the country. We, and again, I apologize for the uh, for the audio. It was on, on my cell phone. We recorded that as we were driving to the hotel. We were told to grab our belongings if it was not essential, if it was not mission critical, to leave it behind, which we did leave some things in the hotel room. But let me tell you, they, they were not kidding. Uh, Beth uh, not remains on the uh, line with us as well. She was there, uh, one of the... Uh, project coordinators and um, supervising producer for all things Glenn Beck. And describe that emotion, Beth. Well, it was it was very disheartening, first of all. I mean, it was scary, um, and it was real. You know, I looked at Johnny Moore, who has, you know, been helping us with the Nazarene Fund Project, and and he, he travels over there all the time. So a lot of the things that I would sometimes say, you know, is this normal? He'd go, yeah, yeah, this is perfectly normal. Don't worry about it. But at that point, in the elevator with Johnny, we said, Johnny, is this normal? And he said, no, this is not normal, and I'm nervous. Get your stuff and move. Um, so that was that, – that to me made it you know, that much more serious. But at the same time, it was very disheartening because we were supposed to spend the night. We were supposed to see these Christians get on the plane the next morning. We were supposed to have people ride on that plane with the Christians to talk to them as they were going over to their new home. And we knew at that moment that all of that was out the window that we were going to be lucky to get out of the country, and at the very least we were going to have to wait two more days to even try to get the Christians out of the country. And, you know, when you've put all that effort and all that work into it, and you spent this time, two days, meeting these people and how joyous they are to get to move, it was just incredibly disheartening and disappointing. And again, to their state of well-being, these I asked at one point if these people were allowed to leave these centers and was told that their their movement was restricted because not not so much it was restricted for their safety, even though this was a Christian area of the of the of the of the town, uh, it was still dangerous for even them to to wander outside um, the center. And that in itself was was frightening just to think about. Yeah, the fewer movements, the better, because, um, you know, you don't know who has stuck somebody, something in somebody's bag or you don't. I mean, that's just always a threat over there. You don't leave things sitting around. It, right. You just don't do it. It's not, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's the airport on steroids. Yeah, it, it was truly a, a surreal experience. And I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it more coming up here in the next half hour. Uh, about a minute left um, with you, Beth. Just briefly, um, and this is totally changing gears, but uh, the Stefa bus, I know you wanted to talk about that. Just yep. kind of give us an overall uh, look at that, and I'll give them details in the next, uh, next half hour. 
Talk about that. Um, Glenn used to do a project called Stuff of Us years ago when he was doing just local radio. And so we took that on this year as Mercury One, and we're asking for unwrapped toys and clothing for children. Children in need will, in, the, in the Dallas area will receive these, specifically through Irving Cares. And so the bus will be at uh, Mercury Studios on Thursday and Friday, and then at Glenn's Christmas event at the Verizon Theater in Grand Prairie on Saturday. So we're asking for people to bring things out so that we can help 100 kids that are in need this year. And there you have it. I'll give them uh, more information, uh, as I said, here in the next half hour. Thank you for, for getting up early. Thank you for uh, for helping me fill <laughs> uh, part of this part of this airtime um, and for telling the story of your experience uh, in the Middle East uh, from your perspective. I know that uh, I know the audience appreciates appreciates it. And I will and I will see you very soon. Thank you, Beth. Sounds good. Thank you. Bye bye. Uh, and let me tell you just a little bit about how when we were interviewing these people, um, I felt so, so inadequate. And I've interviewed people for the better part of my, my career about their businesses, about this and that, about travel, about everything you can imagine. But trying to ask someone how they felt about people trying to kill them, about having to leave their home... I felt like a total fraud. I felt so inadequate. It was truly a life-changing experience in the Middle East. 888-900-3393. That's our phone number. 888-900-3393. If you have any questions or comments, call. Be glad to share my thoughts with you on that. As it's Brad Stacks here for Jeffy, the Jeff Fisher Radio Show, Blaze Radio Network. the Jeff Fisher Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. The Jeff Fisher Show is on. And it's Brad Staggs filling in for Jeffy this morning and um, having an absolute blast doing it and being able to tell you the story of our trip to the Middle East and uh, the evacuation of Christians from uh, from the centers. Uh, one, one center in particular, Mar Elias. Uh, this is a church there in Erbil. This is Father Douglas's church. They even have a... Uh, a Facebook page. I highly recommend that you you look at uh, look at their Facebook page. Mar Elias Church, uh, Mar M A R, and then Elias E L I A S Church. It's a Catholic church. Research this on your own. I was amazed. Mar Elias um, was a saint, was a and 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 a martyr who basically renounced his. Um, his Christian faith, the parallels of, of his story and the story that's happening there now are unbelievable. And even though he renounced his faith as a Christian, he was, uh, he was killed anyway. He, he renounced it, and then he, he took back, or I guess uh, uh, whatever the opposite of renounced would be. <laughs> I'm not smart enough to know that word. Uh, he reinstated his faith or restated his faith, and uh, he was martyred. That part of the country is, I want to say deceptive, and it's deceptively 
beautiful. To say that it was a surreal experience is not doing it justice. When you are talking to people who have been forced from their homes, again, the equivalent, I felt so ignorant. I felt stupid when I was there because you cannot even, I mean, and, and God bless you and thank you for, for sending in all of your donations to the Nazarene Fund. And they, they send their thanks down to a person. Everyone that I spoke with there is grateful that they are, 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 are given the opportunity to have a new life. And I know when you send in your donations that you know you're doing a good thing. But let me tell you, it is until you are there and you see it, it is so unreal. It is, again, like someone coming to you and, and, and saying, look, you have, you have three options. Uh, you can denounce your, your Christian faith and become Muslim. You can leave now. And when I say leave now, it doesn't mean pack up your house and leave. It means get out, leave. In some cases, you can get in your car and drive away. You know, if you live in, in, in Dallas, let's say, you can drive to North Dakota. Or you can drive even to Houston, for that matter. Or the third option is we'll kill you. Those are your options. Your home is gone. Once you get to Houston or North Dakota or wherever it is you decide to leave to, your home is gone. Anything you left behind is gone. And in most cases, these people had businesses. They had jobs. They had cars. They had money in the bank. They had possessions. They had homes. They had furniture. They had clothing. They had stuff. Gone. Stolen. Burned. Gone. Several of the people I talked with, professional lawyers, government officials or, 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 or workers, they had nothing, had absolutely nothing. And yet these people were so full of joy. It was, it was weird is what it was. And I thought to myself, what would I, if I, if I were them, could I do what they've done? They live in small in in both camps that that we saw both centers. I keep calling them camps. They don't like to be called camps. They're centers. They live in these little shipping containers. And when we got to we we traveled from <clears throat> Iraq to Slovakia, and from Slovakia to uh, Stockholm. Stockholm. Glenn wanted to to go to Stockholm because that's another part of the story that we're we're going to tell you on the blaze about how they are headed down a very very dangerous path as well. And when we got there, it just looking at the culture, looking at the looking at the very same problems that they are having, looking at the riots, looking at the the burned vehicles. Um, it's very intimidating. It's very intimidating, but very, very enlightening at the same time to see these, 
to see how this whole plan is coming together. When I say a plan, it is a plan. It is chaos. It is order out of chaos. Um, the grand plan being that when you create all of these problems, these manufactured problems, that it actually can destroy the fabric of society. That is apparently the goal, to destroy the very fabric of society, to reestablish it in some other way, to reestablish the order. And to see how joyous these people remain, the one thing that they kept repeating was they can't take that away from us. They cannot take away our happiness. They cannot take away, they can take away our stuff but they cannot take away who we are, what we are. And these are, these are such strong, strong people. Rami was another man that uh, we talked with. Lillian, our translator, beautiful young woman, mid-20s. Um, just, uh, just a sweet, sweet girl. <laughs> And it is, it's hard to, obviously they grow up faster than, than, than the kids here in, in this country do because they are faced with such danger, such hardship. And the kids in all of these different centers, they would surround us. The, the, the kids at, at, the, at Sister Diana's camp center, excuse me, would surround me and then they would take, I had a, a camera that I was shooting both video and, and, and pictures with, um, they wanted to take pictures with the camera, and they just, they were, they were so cute. These kids are just so cute. They're so lovable. Uh, and then if you go and get on the, uh, the Mar Elias Church Facebook page, you'll see some pictures of these, of these kids. And you just want to take them home. You cannot believe the conditions that they're living in, living in these shipping containers, eight feet, nine maybe, by 15. And the electricity going off every few minutes at night because the um, they overtax the generators, basically. Uh, someone will decide to turn on a space heater, boom, shuts the breaker, and then everything shuts down. Uh, it was cold there, 37 degrees, I think, one day in, uh, in Fahrenheit, zero. Uh, at one point, it reached zero Celsius, uh, which is uh, 32, I guess, in Fahrenheit. Why did we ever change the metric system? I don't know. Um but please, I, the bottom line is that I can tell you from firsthand experience the money that you have sent is literally changing lives. Johnny Moore, who is the um, director of the Nazarene Fund, I watched this man work tirelessly. Um, he has such he has such a big heart, and he's always trying to do the right thing. Sometimes even the and that's the thing. Again, I will go back to the fact that I am an idiot. At one point, I broke down. I was talking to Beth, our, our producer, and I I just I I I turned to her and I had tears in my eyes. I said, I just don't get it. I don't understand. I feel so stupid. <laughs> and part of it was obviously just exhaustion from the trip, but the other part is that just 
used to think I was smart. I used to think that I knew a lot, that I knew. I used to get to listen to Glenn all the time. And then, and I would, I felt like I kept up with the world in that way. And the really funny part is that, and when I say funny, it's ironic that when you are in this building, when you are, in some cases, you know, five feet away from Glenn, 10 feet, 30 yards, whatever it is, see him all day, talk to him a lot. I don't get to listen. I don't get to hear him. I don't get to get that infusion. Uh, you consider yourself lucky because you get to con- continually hear his wisdom, his words, his thoughts, the things he likes to talk about. And I get that in sporadic bursts here and there, but not as much as I used to. And I, I just feel stupid. And it's, and especially in, in talking to these people, I can't even comprehend their problems in some cases. I know they're huge, and it, it, it's, it is so humbling to be around them. But know this. Your donation, your time, your love, your prayers, they're working. It's working. The thing about Mercury One and the Nazarene Fund is that all that money goes to exactly what Glenn has told you, moving these refugees, getting them out of these centers, getting them to a new life, getting them to a place where they can start over. And and these are not, let me put it this way, these are smart people. These are intelligent people. These are good people. These are people who deserve your support. They deserve your help. They are grateful for your help. They're full of love. And to watch what they are going through. Just breaks your heart. It really does. The message they asked me to give you was thank you. Thank you. They appreciate everything you've done, everything you're doing, everything you continue to do. It's working, and that is the most important thing to know. Because sometimes you give money to a charity, you give money to an organization, and it, it, you, don't, you, you know nothing past that point. You know you, you feel good for having given that money. Let me just tell you, I've seen it firsthand, and it's true. You are doing amazing, amazing things around the world. Thank you. One more segment to go. Brad Stags in for Jeff Fisher this morning in the Jeff Fisher Radio Show here on the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Jeff Fisher Show on the Blaze Radio Network. No, Brad Staggs. <laughs> uh, Jeffy is uh, out, uh, still recovering, and um, will be for the next uh, next several weeks. 
I have the honor of sitting in the chair, a very large chair, not a metaphor. It's a big chair. I like that. Thank you. Um, uh, thank you for being here this morning. Uh, Michael Pelka is uh, coming up at the uh, at the top of the hour, and uh, stay here for him. Um, what an honor it is to be here. <laughs> just uh, every day, I have to pinch myself um, because this is just such such a dream. Um, and thank you for for being there. Uh, obviously, without whom all of this would be pointless. Uh, Beth did ask me. Um, to mention once again to you the uh, the stuff of us toy drive that uh, Mercury One is having Christmas. Can you good grief? Christmas is two weeks from yesterday, if you are keeping track. But who isn't? Um, the stuff of us uh, toy drive is going to benefit Irving Cares. It's a local North Texas charity, and it's pretty cool. Basically, what it does is, um, you know, they, we stuff a bus with toys for for uh, underprivileged, uh, underprivileged kids around the area. It'll occur uh, Thursday, December 17th, 9A to 7P. And uh, Friday, December 18th, that's next Thursday and Friday from 9A to 2P at Mercury Studios. Uh, on Saturday the 19th, we will have the bus at the Verizon Theater in Grand Prairie from 4 to uh, 8 p.m. And uh, the Verizon Theater is going to be where uh, Glenn uh, Beck presents Christmas Cheer, which is going to be very cool because he's going to be reading Christmas stories uh, there, it's a very simple show. Very, very. Uh, it's a great opportunity to just be very intimate with Glenn. Um, I think there's only a couple of thousand seats. Um, very small venue. Verizon Theater in Grand Prairie, Texas, Saturday, December 19th at seven. Tickets are still available. If you can come, please bring an unwrapped toy and uh, put it on the bus. Uh, Mercury One Irving Cares will be giving gifts to a hundred children in need on Christmas Eve. Uh, so please, uh, if you want more information, go to mercuryone.org for the stuff of us. And uh, also, t- you know, go to uh, glenbeck.com to get uh, tickets to Glenbeck Presents Christmas Cheer. Um, thank you to you for listening this morning. I want to thank uh, John is in New York. I think Sebastian's in New York, too. Uh, these days with technology, Sebastian could be somewhere in North Dakota, and I wouldn't know it. But thank you both for uh, for handling the back end. Uh, thank you to Beth Knott for being a guest in the program today. Thank you so much for everything you do, for your efforts, for your prayers, for your donations to Mercury One and the Nazarene Fund. What you do matters. It really does. You are changing the world. Please know that. Together, we can make a whole lot more change. I'll see you next Saturday here. Jeff Fisher Radio Program, Blaze Radio Network. This is the Jeff Fisher Show, only on the Blaze Radio Network.